Let's pray one more time before the word of God is preached. Father, we approach the throne of grace this morning with boldness and confidence because and only because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I am very aware of my need this morning for your help to preach the word effectively. Father, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, fill all of us with your spirit. Uh, Give us the gift of understanding and help us to rejoice in uh, the goodness of Jesus Christ alone this morning. And we pray these things in his mighty name. Amen. Tomorrow is October 31st, which in our culture is Halloween, which means that tomorrow, for better or worse, thousands of kids all over Spokane will be very, very excited to acquire massive amounts of free candy from all their neighbors and friends. Now, as Protestants, we have something far more exciting to celebrate tomorrow than acquiring free candy from our friends, and that's because tomorrow, October 31st, uh, is Reformation Day. Reformation Day is celebrated all over the world in thousands of churches this morning uh, in light of what happened October 31st, 1517, over 500 years ago. And as many of you know, October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, the German reformer, uh, nailed his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg, and that marked the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, which was arguably the greatest movement of God's Spirit since the early church. Little did anyone know that Martin Luther's hammer blows against the church door at Wittenberg would radically transform the course of Western civilization. God used Martin Luther and many others to rediscover the gospel of Jesus Christ. So for us as Protestants, Reformation Day should be a huge deal. Now, how does one summarize what the Reformers taught 500 years ago? Well, there are five Latin phrases that are often used to summarize the Reformation. The first is sola scriptura, scripture alone is our authority. Then sola gratia, we are saved by grace alone. Sola fide, we are justified by faith alone. Solus Christus, we are saved by Christ alone. And sola deo gloria, God does all that for his glory alone. This morning, we're going to pause from our Gospel of John series and look at one of those solas, and that is sola Christus, Jesus Christ alone saves. And make no mistake, sola Christus is even more relevant now than it was 500 years ago when the Reformers took their stand uh, in Europe. So, we're going to focus for the next 35 minutes or so on this glorious concept of solus Christus which again means that Jesus Christ alone saves. Three points this morning, explaining solus Christus, questioning solus Christus, and then living solus Christus. First is explaining solus Christus. What does this teach? Again, solus Christus teaches that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone saves. Does the Bible actually teach this? Yes. Turn to Acts chapter 4, and before I explain Acts 4, let me explain the context of this great passage. Peter and John just healed a man uh, invoking the name of Jesus Christ. 
As a result, a huge crowd forms, and the religious leaders are jealous of the disciples, and so they are angry uh, at these men for performing this incredible miracle. Verse 7 to 12 of Acts 4 says this, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? That is, heal this man. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, took guts to say that, whom God raised from the dead, by him, Jesus, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now, verse 12 is the key. And there is salvation in no one else. Just to be clear, they go on to say, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They say very clearly, inspired by the Holy Spirit, salvation is found in one place. It's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the only one who can save, which means that no one else can save, no other name can save. Jesus Christ alone saves. Well, Dave, does the rest of the Bible teach this? Yes. In several places, consider a few. First uh, Timothy 2, 5, and 6, Paul says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul, again inspired by the Holy Spirit, says there's only one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus Christ, which means there's no other mediator. He's the only mediator between God and man. Romans 3, 23 to 24. Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Universal problem, everyone, everywhere, and every culture has sinned. Universal solution, Jesus Christ has come to earth lived, suffered, and died to save all those who put their hope and confidence in his name, in his name alone. Luke 24, 46 and 47, uh, verse 46, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Repentance and faith must be proclaimed in Christ's name to all the nations because among all the nations, no matter where you live in the world, again, Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone saves. No other name, no other person saves. Jesus saves. Jesus Christ alone saves, which means very clearly, salvation is not found in Muhammad. It is not found in the teachings of Moses or the Buddha 
or Hinduism or Confucianism or the teachings of Joseph Smith. This view is called the view of exclusivism, and this is the historic view of the Christian church, because the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ alone saves. What does he save us from? He saves us from the power of sin, the guilt of sin, the clutches of the devil. He saves us from hell, and he saves us from the wrath of a holy and righteous God. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone saves. Now, saying this out loud in public in our culture is not going to win you any popularity contests, is it? But take heart, because the Reformers, 500 years ago, said the exact same thing, and it got them into all kinds of trouble. Many of them lost their lives for saying that Jesus Christ alone saves. Well, why did they get them into so much trouble 500 years ago? Well, several reasons. Let me mention a few. First is the doctrine of Mary. The Roman Catholic Church taught its followers to pray to Mary because Jesus Christ is a severe judge. He doesn't want to hear your prayers. If you really want to get to God, go to his mother, Mary. Pray to her, and she'll get your prayer request to God the Father. Mary is still referred to in the Roman Catholic Church as the co-mediatrix. I was in Florida a couple years ago, and I saw this church and the church was called uh, Mary Queen of the Universe. I thought, wow, that's awfully presumptuous. Mary was a godly woman, but she was just a woman. She is not a member of the Trinity. She is not divine. She is not the co-mediatrix. There's one mediator, and his name is Jesus. Furthermore, there was the doctrine of indulgences. The Roman Catholic Church taught that when you died, if you were a Christian, you went to the place of purgatory, which was the place where the guilt for all your sins in this life was purged away. And that may take 10,000 years, 100,000 years, 200,000 years. And functionally, purgatory uh, was a, a, a means of purging one from sin. But the good news was you could shorten your time in, pur in purgatory by buying indulgences from the Roman Catholic Church, which essentially was buying the righteousness or the merit of the really faithful saints. So when you bought an indulgence, you were basically being saved by other righteous people, not Jesus Christ alone. So the Reformers saw this, and it greatly distressed them because they realized it was taking away from the glory of Christ our mediator. Then there was the doctrine of sacramentalism. Roman Catholics taught and still teach that one can only be righteous through faithful participation in the sacramental system. So Roman Catholics teach that one is saved by faith in Christ, but it's not faith alone and not Christ alone. To be actually righteous, if you're a Roman Catholic, you have to faithfully, for years and years and years, participate in or obey or cooperate with the sacramental system. And then once you've done enough good things, then you'll be actually righteous, then God will declare you righteous. And the Reformers saw this and, and said, that totally undermines the freeness of God's grace and the work of Jesus Christ alone. 
We are saved, declared righteous by looking to Christ alone, apart from our works or participation in the sacramental system. Now, before you Protestants get too self-righteous, how many Protestants live functionally just like Roman Catholics? Thinking that if I really perform for God, I, like I know, I know I'm saved by faith alone, but if I work really hard, then I'm guaranteed that God's going to accept me and love me and declare me righteous. How many of us think on our really, really good days, we're more acceptable to God, and on our really, really bad days, we're less acceptable to God? And if we're honest, I think most of us would say that probably describes most of us most of the time. So before you throw too many stones at your Roman Catholic friends, look in the mirror. Do we really believe functionally that we are saved by Christ alone? And if we do, we'll hop off the performance treadmill and we'll rejoice that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the work of Christ alone, which means that your works, good or bad, have nothing to do with whether you're saved or not. We are saved by Christ alone. Now, Solus Christus raises all kinds of questions, which brings us to the second point. First, Explaining Solus Christus, second, questioning Solus Christus. Now, here's where it gets controversial. This issue raises several questions. I want to address five. Dave, what about pluralism? Pluralism. Pluralism teaches that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is necessary for Christians to get to heaven, but people of other religions have their own way of getting to heaven. In other words, Jesus is a way to God, but he's not the way, the only way to God. This perspective uses these slogans, Dave, that's great for you, but that's not what works for me. Or, Dave, all religions basically teach the same thing, the golden rule, right? I mean, isn't everybody okay if they obey the golden rule? Or furthermore, Dave, it's very arrogant for you exclusivists to say that Jesus Christ is the only way. Let me respond to that accusation of arrogance, because that's the most common accusation in our culture currently. Uh, pluralists often like to use the illustration of an elephant. They say that religion works like this. Religion is like uh, a blind man uh, trying to describe an elephant. One blind man reaches out and he uh, grabs hold of the elephant's tusk. And he says, an elephant is like a sharp spear. The next blind man reaches out and he grabs hold of the elephant's leg and says, no, an elephant is like a, um, a tree trunk. The next blind person reaches out and he grabs the elephant's tail. And he says, an elephant is like a long, strong, leathery rope. Then the person telling the fable says, see, every religion is right because every religion understands part of 
the truth. All these blind people can't see the whole picture. They're just seeing part of the truth, and they're, they're describing part of the truth. But what's wrong with this illustration? <laughs> the person telling the fable, the person describing what's happening, assumes what? That they have omniscient knowledge, that they're not blind. Everyone else is blind, groping for the elephant, but the one telling the fable assumes that they have the answers. They understand what an elephant is. Everyone else is ignorant, they're blind, but the person telling the story is not. What is that? That's arrogance, okay? So everyone who's making a truth claim here is saying the other person is wrong. So if someone says, Dave, you Christians are so arrogant for saying Jesus Christ is the only way. That person is assuming that their perspective is the right perspective. So everyone's making truth claims. And the person telling the story is, again, assuming that they have the whole picture and no one else does. Everyone else is ignorant of the facts, but the person telling the fable. The issue, ultimately, is not an issue of arrogance because, again, both sides make truth claims. The issue is an issue of truth. If I said to you, if I insisted to you, that two plus two equals four, would you say, Dave, that's an incredibly arrogant thing to say? Of course not. Why? It's true. Two plus two does equal four. Or imagine going to the doctor, and the doctor says, we've seen all the test results, and clearly you have cancer. Well, that's your truth, not my truth. That's true for you, but it's not true for me. No, the, the doctor is saying, this is the evidence, here are the facts, you have cancer, you need a cure. It's not arrogance, it's truth. If it's true that Jesus Christ really rose from the dead, it proves that he's God. If he's God, then what he says is right and true. And the risen Christ claims that he is the only way to God. It's not arrogance, it's truth. If he lived and died and rose from the grave, he is definitively the only way to God. Next question. Well, Dave, what about inclusivism? Again, the biblical view is the exclusivist view there's the pluralist view. This is the inclusivist view. Inclusivism says, yes, I understand that one must be saved through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but conscious faith in Christ is not required. Therefore, the sincere Muslim or Buddhist or Mormon can be saved, even though they, they may not have that conscious faith or understanding of what Jesus Christ did in his life, death, and resurrection. Here's the problem with this particular perspective. The Bible and historic Christianity clearly teach that one cannot be saved apart from conscious faith in Jesus Christ. And again, let me read some texts. Acts 4.12, I'll read it again. And there is salvation in no one else. If that wasn't clear enough, Peter goes on to say, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter says, there is no other name under heaven, meaning 
the inhabited earth, every culture, everywhere must look to Jesus. And then he says, given among men. That word men is the word anthropoi, which means not just Jew, but every person on planet earth. And again, he says that we need to believe in or look to the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How about Romans 10? This is a classic text on this subject. Romans 10, 10 to 15. Paul says this, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, i.e. Jesus Christ, will be saved. Then he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul's logic is very clear. If Christians are not sent to the nations to preach the gospel, people will not be saved, period. They must put their faith in Jesus Christ alone, which is why missionaries must go out and sacrifice their lives to tell people about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if right now you're bristling against what I'm saying, and I get it, you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with Jesus. Jesus Christ is saying that no one comes to the Father except through him. If you're saying right now, I'm a Christ follower, but I'm not willing to follow Jesus here, how incredibly arrogant. You're saying that you know better than Jesus. He's saying, he's claiming that he's the only way to the Father. He alone saves. No one else saves. Next question. Dave, what about fairness? That's not fair. It's not fair that certain people and cultures have never heard the name of Jesus. Thank goodness God is not fair. Does the Bible say anywhere that God is fair? No. Aren't you glad? If God were fair, all of us would be in hell right now. The Bible says that God is just, God is righteous, God is merciful, but God is not fair. No one deserves to hear about Jesus. All of us have sinned from birth. We've all rejected God before conversion. None of us have the right to hear about Jesus, but God in his grace and kindness sends people out with the gospel of Jesus Christ because he loves the world and he wants people to be saved and he wants to use you, yes, you and me, to tell the world about Jesus. 
But the Bible never says that God is fair. But God is incredibly merciful and loving and gracious. Next question, Dave, what about general revelation? Uh, Romans chapter 1, people often look at this passage and say, well, from this text, it seems like people can be saved by knowledge of God from creation. Look at that text with me. Romans 1, 19 to 21, Paul says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Again, some argue that from this passage, we learn that people can be saved by knowledge of God and creation. But is that what this passage teaches? No. This passage teaches, verse 20, that we can know certain things about God from creation. We can know that God is very powerful, that God is creative, that God is wise. But we can't understand from creation that Jesus Christ came to earth and suffered and died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave victoriously. Although Paul does say that our knowledge of God in creation is enough to condemn us. Creation clearly tells us that there is a God and that he is powerful. So so Paul says that we are all without excuse. One more question. Dave, what about Old Testament saints? Weren't they saved apart from conscious faith in Jesus Christ? Well, Old Testament saints actually knew a lot more about Christ than we give them credit for Hebrews 11.13, the author of Hebrews says, these all died in faith, Old Testament saints, not having received what was promised, but having seen it and greeted it from afar. Hebrews 11.26, Moses, who lived 1,500 years before Christ, Moses considered abuse suffered for the Christ. Moses lived Decades, centuries before the Christ, but author of Hebrews says, Moses considered abuse suffered for the Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And then John 8.56, which I preached on a few weeks ago, um, Christ said to the Pharisees, your father Abraham, 2000 BC, rejoiced that he was to see my day. He saw it and was glad. So Old Testament saints didn't have the same knowledge that we have of Jesus, but they had all kinds of information about Jesus through all the types and shadows and promises of the Old Testament. But with that in mind, John Piper argues, and I think he's right, that something changed under the New Covenant. Uh, He mentions this particular quote, or he writes this. um, Before Jesus, faith was focused on the mercy and promise of God to forgive sins and to care for his people. As Revelation progressed, faith could move more easily from the animal sacrifices onto the promised sin bearer of Isaiah 53. But when Christ came, all faith narrowed in its focus to him alone as the one who purchased and guaranteed all the hopes of the people of God. From the time of Christ onward, 
God wills to honor Christ by making him the sole focus of saving faith. Therefore, people must call upon him and believe in him and hear him and be sent messengers with the word of Christ. Piper's basically saying that with the inauguration of the new covenant, faith was narrowly focused onto Jesus specifically, which is why under the New Covenant, the New Testament, we read very clearly that salvation is found in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. Summary, one will not be saved apart from conscious faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now at this point, it's one thing to be able to explain solus Christus. It's another to be able to answer questions about solus Christus but, most importantly, are we living like Solus Christus is true? Which brings us to the third and final point. First, explaining Solus Christus. Second, questioning Solus Christus. Third, living Solus Christus. What does it mean to live as if Solus Christus is true? And it is true. What does it mean to live that way? Let me make a few suggestions. Since Christ alone saves, we must rejoice with every fiber of our being. There is a way for us to be saved. Instead, we grumble and complain because there's only one way. Now imagine, you've been locked in a prison cell for 50 years, for something you did a long, long time ago. The prison warden shows up and says, the courts have changed their minds and they want to give you amnesty, they want to free you, but here's the catch. There's only one way for you to be freed. All you have to do is walk out the front door of this prison. If you try to tunnel underneath the walls, 50 more years in prison. If you try to climb through the windows, 50 more years in prison. If you try to punch the guard in the face and steal his keys, 50 more years in prison. But there's a way for you to be saved. All you have to do is walk out the front door. Imagine that person saying, are you kidding me? There's only one way for me to be saved? How ridiculous. He's being offered salvation. And again, how many times do we complain? Only one way. There's a way. God the Father designed a plan in eternity past that involved sending his only son to suffer and die for you and rise from the grave. And if you put your hope and confidence in him, all your sins are forgiven and you'll spend all eternity in the presence of the triune God. That's the way. In addition, since Christ alone saves, we must look to him and him alone. Works will not save you. Good intentions will not save you. Spirituality will not save you. Good health will not save you. Lots of money will not save you. Lots of sex will not save you. Lots of performance will not save you. We are saved by Christ alone. 
Are we putting all of our hope and confidence in Jesus Christ this morning? Or is it Christ plus? Christ plus, fill in the blank. Christ plus, my devotional life. Christ plus, serving in the church. Christ plus, avoiding all those bad things. No, the Bible's clear. We are saved through Christ alone. And if Christ alone saves us, we must tell others about him. We often, when our friends and loved ones die, we often have this really weird, bizarre, like vague sense of, well, maybe they're saved, even though they never, they never ever put their faith and trust in Jesus. Don't give in to that sentimentality. People that are not trusting in Jesus Christ alone to save them will not go to heaven. Therefore, you and I have an incredibly distinct privilege of telling everyone we know about Jesus. And let me encourage you to pray for opportunities. I I am by no means a bold and fearless evangelist. Someone in the church has been texting me every week now for a while saying, Dave, how can I pray for you this week, which I really appreciate. And I've been saying to him recently, pray that I would be bold in proclaiming the gospel. And the last three, four weeks, I've had four opportunities. I've talked with three Catholics, well, two Catholics, an ex-Mormon, and a Muslim. Not because I'm super bold and courageous, but I've been praying for opportunities, and so is my friend. And when you do that, God brings them your way. So let me encourage you to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. And when you're praying that way on a regular basis, opportunities will present themselves. And when they do, pray for boldness to step through the door and open up a conversation about Christian things. Furthermore, since Christ alone saves, you will probably suffer more and more and more in our culture saying things like conscious faith in Christ is required for salvation will get you into all kinds of trouble with your friends, loved ones, coworkers, and boss. But Jesus promises all of us that following him means we will be persecuted and hated. But when you're persecuted, Jesus also says that your reward will be great in heaven. This will test what you think about the Bible. If the Bible is truly divine and authoritative, you'll have no problem saying that Jesus Christ alone saves. But if you're not convinced the Bible is the word of God, you're going to waffle on this issue. And again, the historic Christian church has taught this for 2,000 years. This is not some new doctrine, because it's very, very clear in the Bible that Jesus Christ alone saves. And again, this is going to require courage from me and you. Furthermore, since Christ alone saves, he will not share his glory with anyone else. If you and I teach that salvation is also found in the Buddha or Allah or Confucius, we are giving God's saving glory to idols, demonic counterfeits, And God is passionately opposed to idolatry. If you don't believe me, read the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God who spoke the universe into existence out of nothing, and he will not 
share his saving glory with anyone else. How dare we mention the name of the Buddha or Allah or Confucius in the same breath with Jesus Christ? Shame on us. God is passionate for his glory, and we must be too. And if we give in to pluralism or inclusivism, God's glory will be diminished and will be at fault. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone saves. Solus Christus. But does Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone still save? Yes. Let me tell you a story I've told you before. I love this story. Beckett Cook grew up in a Roman Catholic home probably 50 years ago. He's probably in his early 50s, mid-50s now. And he was somewhat committed to the Roman Catholic faith as a child. But then he went off to college, and he totally rejected the faith of his parents and embraced a robust form of atheism. He understood the arguments. He knew them well. And later on, he totally embraced the homosexual lifestyle. He had multiple partners. He was passionately opposed to Christianity. He despised the Christian church. And he understood all the arguments for and against Christianity. One day, he's sitting with one of his partners at a restaurant, and he overhears the table next to him talking about the Bible. And for some reason, his curiosity was piqued, so he asked them, what are you guys talking about? And they explain, well, we're talking about the book of Romans. And they briefly explain the gospel to him. And one of them said, we'd love to have you join us at church tomorrow. And he thought, yeah, right. I'll never go to church ever again in my life. But the next day, for some bizarre reason, he woke up and had this incredibly intense desire to go to this church. Gets in his car and he thinks, what am I doing? Why am I going to this church? I don't believe this, I don't like these people, but I'm going for some reason. He shows up at church, they sing a few songs, the pastor preaches, and on the spot, as Christ is proclaimed, he was radically transformed in an instant, just like that. And right away, he left the homosexual lifestyle and fully embraced Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to save him. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is still saving sinners. He saved Beckett Cook, he saved me, and he saved many of you. There is tremendous hope and power and grace in the name of Jesus Christ and no other name saves. Let's pray together.